You are listening to a CJTR podcast. This is Sandy Moore, host of A Real Piece of Art, and today we'll be talking about Uprising, the Power of Mother Earth at the Mackenzie Art Gallery. A Real Piece of Art is a radio show about art exhibitions in and around Regina, primarily in nonprofit professional exhibition spaces. The aim of A Real Piece of Art is to ask questions that anyone can use to analyze, interpret, make judgments about, and hopefully understand works of art. We also address some lesser-known aspects of the art world, all the jobs that people do within it and just exactly what they are. So let's get on with the show. One that will hopefully have you saying that's a real piece of art. Today we are talking about the exhibition Uprising the Power of Mother Earth, a retrospective of Christy Belcourt with Isaac Murdoch at the Mackenzie Art Gallery. This exhibition was curated by Nadia Kurd and is a traveling exhibition. Banners created by the artist to convey their message of resistance at Standing Rock and the need to preserve water greets gallery visitors as they walk up the stairs to the gallery level. The message is simple, profound, and true. Water is life, protect the sacred, and no pipelines, accompanied by silhouettes of buffalo, women, raised fists, and fish. Belle Cord, a mischief artist, has spent her 25-year art career creating an awareness of the interrelatedness of all living things, including the earth beneath our feet, the same earth excavated by shovels and mining trucks, or the water or the stars. Working with Anishinaabe knowledge keeper Isaac Murdoch, Belcourt draws upon traditional knowledge and mischief conventions of visual culture in her work. Sometimes a female-identified figure is the focus of her composition either as a source of life and creation or as the object of suffering, a suffering that environmental degradation subjects us all to. 2017 Spider Woman weaving hair and moon medicine for babies making their way to Earth from the stars is startlingly bold and graphic in its style. The titular Spider Woman, Asabikashikwe, extends eight long and elegant limbs from a pendulous round belly swollen with pale arachnid offspring. Two of the limbs terminate in human hands that are working magic, somehow spinning the braids from her human head into a cloud of white silk that floats in to a sky peppered with four-pointed stars. The vibrant red of Asa Bikeshikwe's body pops against the pale blue background of the painting. The mysterious symbolic vocabulary of traditional knowledge in the form of storytelling offers unearthly insights that connect spiders to the moon, prefiguring our knowledge that spiders travel around the world on the jet stream until they grow large and heavy enough to fall to earth. This smooth and icy blue canvas contrasts with Belcourt's established style, inspired by mischief beadwork. Often she uses the handle of a brush or a knitting needle to dot acrylic paint on a black canvas, referencing beadwork on black velvet. Many of these paintings depict traditional medicines and healing herbs, twining stems, branches, and roots around animals, rocks, and other plants in a complex web of support. A variety of flowers and berries, mountain ash, tamarack, blueberries, strawberries, and willow spring from a common branch. Each flower, fruit, leaf, insect, and bird has meaning. Many of the plants Belcourt depicts are listed in her 2008 book, Medicines to Help Us, Traditional Métis Plant use. 
While roots exposed to view in Belcourt's painting demonstrate that there is always more than what meets the eye. The artist describes some of her paintings as prayers for the Métis nation to become healthy and strong again. In other paintings, plants carry specific healing properties or stand in for the bodies of people, ravaged by injustice yet strong in their resistance. this point in the show, I'll invite my robot pal, RT, to observe, analyze, and assess an artwork with me. RT's programming doesn't provide them with much of a background for understanding artworks, so we use some questions to help us make sense of artworks when we encounter them. You can use these questions to help you decode the special language of contemporary visual art, too. RT, thanks for joining me to talk about the exhibition Uprising, The Power of Mother Earth by Christy Belcourt with Isaac Murdoch. This exhibition was curated by Nadia Kurd and organized and circulated by the Thunder Bay Art Gallery and Carleton University Art Gallery. Uprising, The Power of Mother Earth will be on view at the Mackenzie Art Gallery until March 22, 2020. So RT, which of these works do you want to talk about? This painting is a mirror. What colors do you notice, RT? It looks like beads, but it's actually little raised dots of paint on canvas. What materials is it made from, and how do you think it was made? I imagine the artist used something like an icing piping bag to make these little dots of paint on the canvas. Is it orderly or disorderly? It is orderly and symmetrical with flowing lines. How does it make you feel? The sinuous overlapping lines are endlessly fascinating. The colors in this bounty of blooms is pretty so I want to look at the painting. It is like a maze for my eyes. I keep finding new things, like the bluebirds or robins which you don't notice on first glance. Does it represent a social issue? I guess it is telling us to spend more time appreciating nature and how everything we find pleasing in nature relies on something else. Our actions have effects. Sometimes the title is a clue to an artwork's meaning. Does the title, This Painting is a Mirror, give you any insights to the artist's message? The title references how one side of the painting imperfectly mirrors the other. It is also a reflection of our best desires and aspirations to be a harmonious part of nature. RT, thank you for joining me today to talk about Uprising, The Power of Mother Earth by Christy Belcourt. A real piece of work is a regular segment on this show where I talk to someone about their job in the art world. Artist is generally never a job at an art gallery. So just what kinds of jobs are there in art museums, art galleries, and artist-run centers? And what do these employees do? Today, I'm speaking with Margaret, who's a facilitator at the Dunlop Art Gallery. Welcome to A Real Piece of Art and the segment A Real Piece of Work. So can you start <laughs> out by introducing your yourself and what it is you do. My name is Margaret Passai. I'm a facilitator with the Dunlop Art Gallery, which is a gallery inside of the Regina Public Library. Margaret, yeah, your job title is facilitator, is that right? Yeah, and I always wonder if people know what that actually is. Can you explain your day-to-day tasks at work? Well, primarily, I'm in the gallery as part of an education and partly security position. Mm. So I find myself, like I do have a desk in the gallery now, but for a long time, like I always thought of myself as sort of lurking in the gallery, waiting to engage people in conversation. Yeah, and sometimes even just sidling up to people and going, what I really like about this painting is. <laughs> so, yeah. And then they jump out of their skin. <laughs> ah, I didn't know you were there. <laughs> 
to my mind, it's sort of uh, the Dunlop's model of facilitator is kind of an alternative to the more traditional role of a docent, which would either be somebody who like sat in a chair with a blanket on their lap in the, in the corner of the gallery and made sure nobody touched anything, or maybe led a very organized tour where they just gave you a bunch of facts about the artwork and there wasn't a lot of interpretation or encouraging viewpoints from from the uh, viewers involved. Absolutely. And I always, like sometimes I do get requests for a tour, like someone Mm. will come up and ask, can you give us a tour of the gallery? And I'll do my best. But for sure, I think the most exciting encounters I've had in the gallery have been through a conversation. So yeah, it's more like a facilitated conversation. Mm -hmm. But uh, Dunlop Art Gallery is also known for showing contemporary artworks. Sometimes people can touch, sometimes they can't. Sometimes you have to assist people with an augmented reality or a virtual reality Mm -hmm. experience. So that you're there to facilitate the person's engagement with the art, whatever that means. How do you think your job has uh, changed or is your job specific to uh, the certain type of organization that you work at? That's a really interesting question because I've been at the gallery for 20 years, but the program is a bit older than Mm -hmm. I am. I think one of the first facilitators, um, you might have even interviewed them in an earlier program. Um, Gary Vera was among the first facilitators and one of my friends, Terry Ackvell was. So I asked them about what their job was initially. And I believe it was a project conceived of by Ingrid Jenkner and Helen Marzoff. Mm. And they had noticed that some of the security guards that were in the gallery (laughs) didn't necessarily connect to the artwork on display and Mm -hmm. had been observed making disparaging comments about the art to the gallery visitors. Welcome to our gallery. We just show garbage here. (laughs) Super awkward. (laughs) So they felt, well, here's a way to maybe offer something in the gallery because also it's a gallery and a public library. So they're very aware of trying to encourage literacy and in this case, visual literacy. So they thought, well, how can we combine the need for a security guard Mm -hmm. with um, more of an educational line of things? And they thought, well, we'll we'll do this as a research project. So they hired a number of people to be in the gallery as facilitators to to perform that security aspect of just having a presence Mm -hmm. so that people aren't I mean, I think a lot of us want to touch the art. I mean, I want to touch the art. So when you have a living presence in the gallery, you're a little bit less likely to touch the art yes. if you know you shouldn't. Yes. Um, and then somebody to also give you permission when it is meant to be touched or interacted with. Absolutely. Know. And sometimes you tell people, oh, you can touch the art, and then they're super rough with it. So a lot of it is performing <laughs> how to touch the art properly or how to put the VR headset on and, you know, that kind of thing. So initially it was a contract position and it was always a pilot project. And then somewhere around 2000, 2004, we were able to become part of the library's um, workforce and just generally join the union and other library workers. And that helped to bring us more into um, library programming. Mm-hmm. And is basically then we've grown out of there and we now have like a curator who's also an education. If you say you're a facilitator, people might clearly have no idea what you do. Yeah. Like, do you run a workshop? Do you help someone do stuff? Yeah. So I've always told people, I just lurk in the gallery. I engage people in conversation. You were talking about how the program to have facilitators in the gallery started at the Dunlop, but how did you end up at the Dunlop and in this position? Well, I got interested in the position because Felipe Diaz was there 
And um, Anthony Kendall was the curator at the time, or assistant curator, and he had just done this exhibition called Little Worlds, mm-hmm. which was all about miniatures. And I was just fascinated. <laughs> and I think when Anthony was first hired, the Dunlop had a beer and pizza night. <laughs> I thought, well, that's amazing. Like, I really felt the gallery was reaching out to the community mm-hmm. in, in a very friendly way. And so between knowing a few people working at this space and really feeling like it felt like a very congenial environment, mm-hmm. um, I had heard this position was open. I thought, well, I really love art and I would like to be closer to art in some way. Um, so I interviewed for the job and it really felt like sitting down and having coffee with friends. Like it was a really fun interview mm-hmm. and somehow it just really fit in my life. Like it is a part-time job. Mm-hmm. And so not everyone can do that, right? Right. Yes. You know, and if this is the one job I always come back to or never leave. I'm curious in terms of your educational background, your interests and your work experience, what your path was to your position. It is a bit weird, I think, to have a career as a facilitator. Mm-hmm. Like most of my colleagues over the years have gone on to become curators or artists or mm-hmm. writers or, or different working for different institutions. When you're in school... Does anyone ever think, oh, conversation could be a job? So I never imagined that this was even a thing that you could even be a facilitator. And all the things like leading workshops, teaching people, writing, gathering pine cones in the park, Mm -hmm. setting up for events, openings. Like there's a lot of different little itty bitty things that I've done over the years, even helping to install the art on occasion. But um, I started off in university. I had thought I would try to be something in administration. Mm-hmm. And I think because our university at the time had co- cooperative oh, okay. p- placements. Co-op placements. Yeah. So I thought, well, that's a really great way to get job experience. Well, it turns out with a 54 in economics, you're not going <laughs> to It didn't seem like a viable thing. And ironically, after I got out of university, a lot of my first jobs were in arts administration. So I don't know. As you say, your current job is really about having conversation. It's something that you are innately good at, you're well equipped for. But I think it's also for any art job, people get to know you, they get to know what your strengths are, they get to know that you're committed to the community, and they get to know that you're a reliable person. On that note, like, is there any advice you would give to anyone who is looking to have a career in the arts, perhaps as a facilitator at the Dunlop, either as a long-term career or as a stepping stone to something else? I think what you said is very true, Sandy, because I certainly experienced that when I was working in the set departments on film sets, that every job you said yes to on a film set Mm -hmm. would lead to another job. Right. And it was exactly what you're describing is people have long hours to spend. They want to know that you're a reliable personality, that you'll get the work done, Mm -hmm. that you're not going to tell abrasive stories about a sick dog halfway through, you know, like whatever, (laughs) right? That you're not like hard to be around. And And in art too, like I think that interview where I sat down with Anthony and Helen and just it felt like having coffee with friends like that was really um, a good indicator that this was a good fit and probably the best advice I ever got was from my brother's father-in-law who said you should hang out with the people that you want to have hire you if Mm -hmm. you're wanting to do a volunteer position is it somehow connected to where you want to end up you're listening to a real piece of art on cjtr 91.3 fm regina community radio today we're talking about uprising the power of mother earth at the mackenzie art gallery I have the op as an employment history of a lot of people i always tend to get a job however obscure usually on a sunday afternoon when i'm like having a glass of wine and going, phew, that project's over. Now I can relax. And the phone will ring and someone will say, I've got this job. 
can you do it? And the important thing is to look into yourself and see if you think you're a good fit and then to say yes. One of the craziest things I ever ended up doing was working for New Dance Horizons, organizing children's activity in the park during the fire and ice carnival. Mm. So because I love taking pictures of snowmen, right. they're like, oh, you'd be perfect for the ice carnival. And I'm like, well, you guys know I don't actually build snowmen, right? It's like, but you could. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That sort of... Uh wild, optimistic confidence of the art <laughs> sector. So uh, we talked about what your job is, and I loved you. your summary is that really you're a professional conversationalist. But what do people around you think you do at your job? What do your friends uh, and family think you do? And what does the public think you do? These are really good questions, and I'm very curious. And I think I first met you when I was a facilitator. What was your take on who we were back in the day? I think I had had some experiences with this kind of model of docent who sat in a corner of an art gallery, staring deadly at nothing with a blanket on their lap. And they were kind of like scary. The Dunlop was my first experience with somebody who was an active facilitator. And yeah, I do remember meeting you then and thinking like, wow, what a warm, inviting presence, like so great and and so smart too. But also part of that intelligence is allowing someone, any visitor, to bring their own thoughts and insights to an art where you're not trying to force your ideas, your opinion, or, you know, the curator or artist's ideas or opinions onto the visitor. Oh, that's so awesome to hear. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I do find a lot of the public, when they come in and they talk to me, they don't really know quite how to place me. Mm. Maybe I'm not necessarily a library employee. Right. We have name tags now, and yes. that helps. Yeah. But before then, they would go, well, are you the artist? <laughs> yeah. Because who else would be in the gallery sitting next to the art and talking about it? Yes. yes. Or, or if they know a little bit about galleries, they'd ask if I was the curator. The reason I do this segment, A Real Piece of Work on my show, is that there is kind of a, a real lack of understanding about what jobs exist in the art world. And people think, well, artist is a job, <laughs> which that's uh, debatable. It's more of a vocation. <laughs> and uh, they, they kind of most... A lot of people know that curator is a job and then the rest of the jobs that make a gallery function, they, they really kind of don't know about. Um, and then, you know, the Dunlop has an extra layer of complication being an art gallery that's located within a public library. That's a really tricky thing with libraries, too, because a librarian is a specific degree. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. people that have order, like earned their, their yes. library degree <laughs> don't want to hear that someone else might be mistaken for a librarian. <laughs> Do you recall an encounter with art that really set you on the path to having a career in visual arts or changing your major from math to visual arts? Well, I was one of those kids who always liked to draw. And I think there's a lot of people that end up in art school like that. They were always doodling like the album cover mm-hmm. on their jeans, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then just being at school and going, well, I don't really know what I want to do, but here's something I always like to do. So maybe I'll take some classes in how to do that more. And at the time that I took art school from the University of Regina, it was a bit of transition. Mm-hmm. Some of the older professors were retiring and they were just starting to get newer professors in. Mm-hmm. I think Lisa Streifler was a new hire at the time. Oh, wow. So she brought in some interesting ideas about what drawing could be. Yeah. And then we had some professors like Jack Suras and Jack Howen that were very confident in their craft of printmaking and clay mm-hmm. uh, and didn't really care what you did subject matter wise. <laughs> but some the drawing and painting departments were, are more heavily slanted towards ideas over um, craftsmanship. Right. So we didn't have um, craftsmanship being taught yet, mm-hmm. but 
if there's a, there was a strong feeling that we needed to wrestle with the ideas and be really, really clear about the ideas and the artwork. I think that that is a discovery that a lot of people have in art school and something that is challenging maybe for gallery visitors is that art is about ideas. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes, I mean, I came up with my own theories about art just sitting in the gallery. And sometimes I felt that the Dunlop, because we showed a lot of contemporary art, it felt almost like walking into a magazine and that the exhibition that was on was curated by a person who is almost like writing a magazine article, but using arts, Mm. like different types of artists work to put together a thesis. Have you ever seen your job or anything like it represented in popular culture? Well, I think we do get to see the tour guide or the security guard in a museum quite often. (laughs) Um, Security guard's easy because they always have to wear a uniform. I don't need to wear a uniform, which is great. Um, and they're usually foiling like a cat burglar or something. <laughs> yeah, or they're telling you like they're they're quite forbidding. Um, the tour guides are usually boring people. They're usually like walking through the museum and they're telling people about the art. And there's 40 people in tow and it's like a long lecture. I really dislike having to do that type of work. Like I have done tours and I always mm. feel like I've failed the people that are there. <laughs> Yeah, I I think there there is this model, you know, not everyone is ready to be an active participant. A lot of people are like, just just let the information wash over me. <laughs> I don't want to put my brain in gear, just all all from some authority who knows best. Do you have any funny stories or horror stories about a time that something went wrong at the gallery and it was up to you to put it right? <laughs> Over the years being with the art, there's always some sort of natural disaster that happens. I remember um, Susan McKenzie had a terrible day when the library roof began to leak and all of a sudden water was streaming down and we were showing drawings by Ernie Lindner and Robert Weins. Oh, no. And so Robert's work was these incredible 10 feet tall images of chalk drawings of tree bark. And she was like, what are we going to do? And it was like, was the water actually like coming into the gallery onto the walls where these drawings were hung? Yeah. And so she just panicked and got library staff and other people and phoned everyone to try and come and fix all this. So I mean, that sort of thing can happen. Most of my situations are involving when people want to touch the art and, or maybe they don't know it's an art gallery and they've come and they're like, what is this? And they pick up a sculpture and you're like, oh no. (laughs) And you just have to imagine that, you know, maybe a toddler has walked over to your wallet and picked up like your paycheck and is trying to like eat it. You know, you're like, no, please don't touch that. And I, I don't, want to yell. And I think I've only yelled at people maybe three times in 20 years. We did have a summer where we had a hedge full of trees and um, I think they were donated from a garden center and it was part of like separating the front half of the gallery from the back half. Mm -hmm. And one morning I came to work and found that a spider that had lived in the hedge now taken up space in the front window. And I just, as part of my first thing you walk through the gallery and you look at all the art and make sure it's all in good condition. I was like, well, we have a spider now. Is this good or bad? Like, I never know. Is this part of the art or not? Um, and everyone seemed pretty pleased the spider was there until the next day when the spiders like 40,000 babies hatched and then it was spider apocalypse. <laughs> Little tiny red spiders everywhere. Oh, that is a great, funny horror story about art going wrong. And whose job was it to deal with spider apocalypse then? I think the (laughs) preparator at the time had just written an email saying, kill all the spiders, kill all the spiders. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 
man. So that that happened. It was fun to hear about your job, your path to becoming a facilitator, and how this position of the facilitator has evolved at the Dunlop over the years. And of course, these funny horror stories. Margaret, is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you wanted to make sure that the listeners of A Real Piece of Art know about? Well, one thing that I have observed just being in the gallery for many, many years is all the stories that people bring in. So over the years, some of the art shows that have really stood out for me that really made an impact in the community. There was an artist called David Mock who brought in, I think it was leftover Regina Leader Post newspapers Mm. from one day. So there's a production of newspapers. The newspapers get delivered. Whatever wasn't delivered or used, he brought into the gallery. And this was a tremendous amount of paper. And he just like built this enormous wave of paper and embedded objects and furniture into it. Hmm. And people coming into the gallery, for the first time, they realized what recycling could mean. Like, where do all these newspapers go at the end of the day? Like, if every day this amount of paper gets thrown into the dump, what? Like, it just blew people's minds. So that really stood out as like a really strong um, piece of artwork. Like a story like that would come up, and you go, "Wow, you know, how did our culture change? Like, even in twenty or thirty years, in some ways it has changed very much. Other ways it hasn't. Mm -hmm. So just all those conversations with people and just learning all these different stories. Like, it's so cool. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks, Margaret. Thanks for coming in and telling me and our listeners all about your job as facilitator at the Dunlop Art Gallery. Well, and we're always looking for other facilitators and other people to work at the library. So you should definitely consider it. Okay. Join in the conversation. Go to the Dunlop Art Gallery's website or, or talk to one of the facilitators when you're in the gallery. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Well, thanks again for sharing all this stuff about your job today, Margaret. And thanks for being a real piece of work. Thank you for listening to A Real Piece of Art on CJTR 91.3 FM, Regina Community Radio. I'm your host, Sandy Moore. Today, we talked about the exhibition Uprising, The Power of Mother Earth at the Mackenzie Art Gallery on view until March 22nd, 2020. My guest, Margaret, told us all about her job as a facilitator at the Dunlop Art Gallery. Special thanks to Guidewire for the fantastic music used throughout this episode. Be sure to check out a Real Piece of Art Facebook group and Instagram account, Real Piece of Art 2019, for show updates and images of the exhibitions I discuss on the broadcast. Love podcasts? Listen to podcasted episodes of A Real Piece of Art by searching the show title on iTunes Podcasts, going to soundcloud.com slash realpieceofart, or listen on the CJTR app or the free Radio Player Canada app. 